Is anyone else feeling salty? I mean, my goodness. Just, it should stir you. You know, when you watch that, it should stir you. If you're a follower of Jesus, it should stir you. If you don't know Christ, it should also stir you. Because there's something inside of you that says, I want to be part of that. There's something inside of us that says, I want my life to actually matter. I want my life to be more than just taking care of myself or my job or my comforts or my home or my family or my friends or my things or my hobbies. I want my life to actually matter in the grand scheme, which is God's plan. And God's plan is Isaiah 61, which is restoring and redeeming cities and places. And cities aren't just cities of concrete and steel and dirt and grass. Cities are people, right? Cities don't exist without people inhabiting them. And so that is who we are. We are called to be that kind of people. And this whole weekend at World Mandate was about us being a people that were reinvigorated again, reignited again to saying, yes, this is us. When we worship God, he gives us what, he's, what his desires are, and then we can go from that place to change the world. We don't change the world apart from God. We change the world after we get God's vision for the world. Amen? Amen. That's who we're called to be. Um, you know, we're wrapping up a series today on, on kingdom culture. It's fitting, kind of tied in with World Manhood this weekend. But as I jump into that, just wanted to share a couple things with you guys because we want to be a people that actually take action steps towards doing things about establishing God's kingdom here on earth. And one of those things, as we mentioned before, um, and we talked about at World Mandate, is this project we're doing this summer called Engage the Islands. And Engage the Islands is an opportunity for you to either take a two-week trip or a three-month internship to East Asia to where we will have 15 bases set up, 15 different locations run by people at Antioch churches all across the U.S. so that you can come and work with locals, local people there, local Christians, have translators, and be able to share the gospel and make disciples and hopefully actually start house churches within just two weeks' time or three months' time. That's our goal. There's over 120 unreached people groups in the region that we're going. That means they have no established church. They have no living witnesses that are, that are, that are walking out um, uh, the values of the Scripture. There's no one there who really knows Jesus. And so we're going to go and try to engage tons of these ones. I think there was a high bar set, which we're going to reach 100 of them. Uh, that may or may not happen, but we're going to go for it, right? We're, we're going to go for it because God's heart is that every tribe, tongue, and nation will know. And so that's what we're doing as a church this summer. If you want to go, we would love for you to be part of that. The deadline is February 15th, though, to apply to go for an internship or um, to go on an impact trip. The last thing is, too, we want to equip you, right? The Bible actually speaks that, 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 that the leadership of the church, our job is actually to equip the saints for the work of service, to actually equip you. And so if you have accepted Christ, put him in your life, guess what? You're now a saint. He's now made you a saint because of his blood, his royal blood, his forgiveness towards you. Now you've been washed white as snow, and so now you're a saint, which now means we get to equip you. And so we're actually kicking that off on uh, next Sunday, February 11th at 5 o'clock. We're doing it for four weeks in a row. We're going to be equipping people. Kent Forster, our missions pastor, is going to be stepping up and leading out in that. But we're going to be equipping you to go do the work of the kingdom in our city. So if you would just like kind of a little more hands-on training, and it's not going to be sitting around talking for an hour and a half. There's going to be some talking and some doing, all right? And so that's what we're doing um, on, uh, for the equipping February 11th. All right. Just want to make sure you guys are aware of those things. So kingdom culture. Right? We have, we've kind of unpacked the worthiness of Jesus. We've kind of gone after some, some different topics. And as we wrap it up today, I want to kind of take us back into the time when Jesus was born. Right? So Jesus, when he was born, 
In his 33 years he lived on earth, we know that the Romans had occupied the entire area. Right? The Roman Empire was at its height. It had conquered most of Europe, northern Africa, and then the Middle East. In Jerusalem, and Judea, and the surrounding regions, they had rule and authority. So Caesar Augustus was actually the ruling emperor at the time. He had taken over after Julius Caesar, and Caesar Augustus kind of elevated the role of the emperor to where the Senate actually just kind of became people that kind of did what he wanted to do. And Caesar Augustus wanted to become a god. He wanted to be glorified like a god. And so they had statues set up and different things all throughout the Roman Empire. And actually, they kind of trained, and they call it the Roman cult, but they trained, they trained the people in the different places where they would take over, their own Romans, that he needed to be elevated and almost worshipped. And in fact, when they would tell tales and stories of Caesar Augustus and his power and his victories and battle and different things, they would use the phrase evangelion, which is translated good news or gospel. So they would say, have you heard the good news about Caesar Augustus? And they would proclaim it in the streets in different places. This is the time when Jesus was born. The Romans had conquered his area. You see, the Jews, has actually, they actually had gotten used to being oppressed and enslaved and conquered, right? Um, the Babylonians had ruled over them, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. They kind of had gotten used to what it's like to be ruled by a foreign power. And when a foreign power came in, and Rome probably did it the best, they would come in and literally bring everything Roman to that place. They weren't content with just coming in with their military and conquering a people. They then wanted to train you in their language. And their culture, they even built Roman bathhouses, Roman buildings, and Roman uh, temples that they had their pagan god worship in. The Romans wanted you, they weren't going to give you Roman citizenship, but they wanted you to be part of the larger picture, what was to be Rome. And so when Rome came in, they came in by force and forced their culture upon you. And in fact, I would probably say their whole goal was to convert you to really be Roman, to understand the Roman ways and Roman beliefs and Roman language. You know, that mentality, which is to conquer, to invade, to convert, has been throughout history. As we know, whether you look at African colonization, you look at South America, North America, Asia, you look at the different wars that have happened, it's all going with the mindset is there's one power or king over here that says, we're going to take over this land because it's resources or it's people or whatever, we don't like them, we're going to take it over and we're going to convert people to our way of doing things or to our faith and our beliefs. This whole mindset even, sadly, has gotten woven into the church over the last 2,000 years. Whether it's the Crusades in the Middle East, or whether it's the Middle Ages of Europe with the church trying to dominate its people, even in the South and Central America. But the mindset was still very worldly. It was still very Roman. You see, the church, in a lot of ways, has had this mindset of, we're going to go and convert, conquer, take over, invade, and do our thing here. Right? Actually, early missionaries to Africa what they started doing was instead of actually presenting Jesus and allowing the people to discover Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and actually do church in the way that is African, they actually said, we want you to do it the way that we've been doing it. So they trained people to wear the clothes they would wear. They then elevated different people and different tribes and groups. They then made it, they made it Western, but it wasn't fitting. They then tried to literally um, say that if you're not going to do it this way, then you're outside the bounds. Even within Europe, right? I mean, that's how our nation, how the pilgrims came over here. Because they were trying to be forced to be part of the Church of England religious structure. And so they fled because they were persecuted. This has happened throughout history. And I want to challenge us to think a little differently today and say, are we still in the mindset of the Romans? Are we Romans but actually call ourselves Americans? <laughs> um, 
Is our goal to convert, to force, to take over, to impress upon everyone else our thoughts and our beliefs? I would argue that kingdom culture comes by another way. I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. Mark chapter 10. Verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, to Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Whoa. Yo. Jesus, you're a big deal and all. But hey, we, we need you to do something for us. You hook us up, right? And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Man, Jesus is so gracious, isn't he? He came like, Sit down, James and John. But no, he is kind and loving, and he's always got a plan. Even when you think you're going somewhere, he's about to take you somewhere else. Just be careful when you talk to Jesus. He's going to take you in the direction he needs to take you. So he says this to them. He says, they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. I mean, let's pause for a second. Jesus, what they got right was, we know you're going to be in glory one day. We know there's a day you'll be sitting with the Father, but hey, can you save us a seat next to you and God? Right? I mean, the audacity, the boldness. Here's what Jesus says. You do not know what you're asking. He'd be right. (laughs) Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. I mean, these guys. Wow. I know they're labeled as sons of thunder and all, but I mean, the boldness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus, we got it. We're in. It's like, wow, okay. So Jesus says, okay, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. Another passage, I believe in Matthew, it actually says that the Father's prepared that place. I can't go into that. It's a few times Jesus says, hey, that's, the Father's got that planned out. I'm not here to grant that to you. But when the ten heard it, so remember, Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples right now. So when the other ten heard it, not James and John, they began to be indignant at James and John, right? I mean, we would too. They're like, hey, who are these guys? We've been here too. What are we? Are we, are we the B team? Come on. Like, James and John, what do you want? You're wanting favors here? We've gone through the same stuff. So then, as there's a little bit of grumbling, you know, I picture like a fight about to break out, you know. Jesus called on to himself and said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, and their time would be the Romans, lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus responds to the disciples' frustration and indignation with a little phrasing about what it's really like to be a great ruler. All they had known was the religious leaders of the time in the Jewish culture All they had known were the Roman rulers who came in by force and conquering and oppressing people. All they had known was different powers coming and enslaving people. Slaves were around. 
Slaves were around. I mean, that was like normal culture life. People were enslaved in different countries and brought over and they had different servants. I mean, this was a normal part of life. These guys understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you want to be great, you got to go low like one of these guys over here. Like, whoa, what? They don't understand it. They, they, want to sit, they want to sit next to Jesus up here. And Jesus tells James and John and says, hey, you can drink the cup in the baptism. So what is he talking about? You know, the cup is referring to his death. Right? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night right, right before he's about to get arrested, to then go be tried falsely and then to be crucified. He says, Father, take this cup from me. <laughs> What's he saying? He's saying, Father, this cup, this death, this is going to be painful. But your will, not my will. And then the baptism. You know, the, when someone gets baptized, it's symbolic of Jesus being buried after dying on the cross, bearing for three days and then being raised back to news of life, that he's literally buried in the tomb, he's gone, he's immersed, he's fully out of sight, but then he resurrects back to life. But there's a suffering part of all that. Um, Jesus is saying, James and John, you want the cup and the baptism? <laughs> then what that equals is death and suffering. Like uh, literally dying to yourself and then eventually actually they, they did die. And so Jesus is, is making it very clear to them, there is a way to glory, but there's a process you're not aware of. There's actually a process to being great. But that process looks very different than the Roman culture that's oppressing us. It looks very different than the Jewish religion that you've been taught. This process is a kingdom process. You know, the challenge for us is that sometimes we think about serving and um, we may be serving with selfish motives, you know. We may ask the question, hey, will I be good at that? Or can I serve with friends? Because if I can, I will. Does it fit my schedule? I'm a busy person. Um, will it match my specific skill set or gifting? Do I get a free t-shirt? Come on now. <laughs> what can I get out of serving so that it's worth my time? Right? Because I'm such a big deal. That's what you're saying to God. I'll serve as long as it works out for me. <laughs> I don't think that's the Jesus model. In fact, Jesus said, he said, what I came to serve, not to be served. You see, the example of Jesus is one for us to follow, which is serving people. But I want us to see something a little deeper today that actually I had never seen in my life until this last week. So I'm there with you. We'll learn this together. You ready? I had always said this verse that, yeah, let's model our lives after Jesus. We're going to serve people. And that's the whole point of this. And I'd be wrong. Jesus is saying something that is so radical because he is a leader, mind you. He's a leader. And every world leader up to this point that has ever existed, they operated a very similar way. And he's about to tell them there's a different kingdom culture that I'm establishing. It's very different than every worldly empire and culture you've ever seen. It's very different. And this is what it is. The leader, the king, is the one who actually does the most serving. The king actually is the greatest servant there are no servants in the kingdom greater than the king now think about that there was no other context they had for someone in power that was to serve the people if you had power you what you lorded over people do this do this be this that you're my helper you're my they had lived in a culture where to where to where wherever they would go there'd be service there people would serve them and he's saying hey james and john and everybody else you want to be great then you're going to have to follow my lead, but it actually starts with me serving you. 
That's where it starts. Let me read a passage for you in John 13, starting in verse 4. He rose from supper, Jesus did. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Now pause there. The disciples have been with Jesus for three and a half years. This is one of the final times Jesus is going to be with his disciples, right? He is with them, and he is washing their feet. And Peter, all the while, who has seen Jesus live his life, see this amazing servant, in this moment, is saying, Jesus, no, you can't wash my feet. That's not right. You're our leader. You don't do that. Can I tell you how many times people have come to me when I'm taking a piece of trash, like a trash bag, out to the dumpster and said, why are you doing that? And what they're saying is, you're the pastor. Why are you taking trash out? Because their assumption is a worldly one. Shouldn't the church operate like the world? The pastor doesn't have to do that. The pastor shouldn't do that. And I'm like, I don't know what Bible you've been reading. But actually, the pastor should be taking trash out. I know it's not beneath them. Or a waste of time. Because if it is, then what you're saying is what Jesus did his whole life was a waste of time. So if there's something out there that's beneath you, my challenge to you is, is it really beneath you? Because then you're saying, oh, that's beneath Jesus, but actually you're saying there's nothing actually beneath me. I go lower than everyone. You want to be more like Christ? Go lower than everybody else. And it doesn't matter how low you go, you'll never even match him. You'll never match how low he has gone for you and me. You'll never even get close. But man, it's worth trying, isn't it? I'd rather live my life trying to get low, 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 and just, just get a little closer just to, just to match that. But, you know, the more important thing he's doing here is he's washing the feet. Let's keep going here. It says, Jesus answered him after Peter said, don't wash my feet. He said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He's saying, I will strip down naked and turn the shower on. I mean, come on. Wash the whole, get the fire hose out. Jesus, blast me. I need to be washed. Here's what I love about Peter. Was he wrong with Jesus washing his feet? Yes. What I love about Peter is he realizes his mistake as Jesus calls him out, and then he turns the corner, which would be called repentance, and says, all right, then wash all of me. But sometimes, guys, we say, oh, I learned the error of my ways. Man, I so wish I didn't do that. I really messed up there. Maybe in a couple of years I'll learn my lesson. Oh, man, Peter didn't do that. You know, we knocked Peter, but, man, that guy was quick to turn. Wasn't he? I mean, yeah, he makes mistakes, but he is quick to turn, y'all. Peter right here, he's like, oh, okay, I missed it. Now think about this. Peter was one of the ten indignant ones at James and John. Hey, so you guys want to have a special seat next to Jesus? What's up with that? So then Jesus pulls everybody together, including Peter, and tells them the story which actually happened before this, which means he already gave them a lesson, a very clear lesson that's spelled out in multiple Gospels, the same story, 
of, hey, I came to serve you, by the way. And it wasn't getting into them, I think, until this moment. And when Jesus washed their feet, notice what happens next. When he washed their feet, this is verse 12 in John 13. When he washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus never gives bad advice. Jesus never is off in his suggestions. And yet Jesus right here has an opportunity to tell his disciples, I just washed your feet, now wash mine. But he didn't. Now think about this church for just a second. My whole life, I've thought, this whole passage and in Mark 10 was about, hey, I just need to serve like Jesus does. And that is part of it. But I missed the first part of it, which is until I allow Jesus to serve me, my serving someone else is in vain. In fact, let me back up here a minute. In John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What is he saying? Apart from me. Does it mean you can't breathe apart from me? No, there's lots of people who are apart from Jesus right now who are breathing. Who are walking around. What is he saying? Apart from me, you will bear no fruit. You're not going to bear any kingdom fruit. Now, you can mimic and people can serve and do things very similar. But there's an extra element. A spiritual element that ain't going to produce the fruit unless you are abiding in Jesus as you are serving. The only way you can do that is if Jesus has already served you. Can I just be honest with you guys? I have a hard time with people serving me. I love serving people. You know, those, those love language books or whatever? That's like right up there. But I have a hard time receiving that. I have a hard time asking for help, to be quite honest. It's hard for me. Some of you, it's easy, you know? But like for me, it's hard. When I was reading through this this past week, God was hitting me like a ton of bricks saying, Tyler, I want you to know I'm here to serve you. You are not here to serve me. Jesus came to serve, not to be served by any of us. So think about that statement for a minute. Jesus does not need you to serve him. He doesn't need you. He doesn't have to have you serving you and I are not that important. What Jesus does want is for us to be served by him. Because the moment we think that he needs us, that goes right into works and our salvation. And all of a sudden thinking, oh, I can earn that from God. I can work for that from God. I can get the next seat right to the left or right of Jesus if I just work really hard. If I just serve better than everyone else, I'll get that, I'll get tier three there up in heaven. Uh-uh. He is saying there is a dying to yourself and a suffering side that my life has exhibited to you. But you have to know that I am washing your feet. 
no, I'm not telling you to wash my feet. I'm telling you I'm going to wash yours. And when I wash yours, what does he say back here in John 13? He says, if then you, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. How do you serve Jesus? By serving someone else. The way that you demonstrate your love to Jesus is by loving people in the way that he has loved you. The way that you serve people, the way that you serve Jesus is actually by serving other people. That's what he wants. He could have said, all right, guys, my feet are pretty stinky. Come on, let's do it. I mean, everyone needs to wash because I'm the leader. That is not the kingdom. It is upside down thinking from what we are trained to think. Let me just speak to politics just a moment. There's a problem in our society, which is we still think the way to impact or change things is by force, takeover, conversion, boycotting, payback for our political enemies, getting a business and buying out the bad guys in town and running them out of town. Our mentality is Roman. It's still Roman. Oh, I can't wait for this Christian candidate to get in the office to only act like the other person who's not a Christian, but he's in one part or the other. Right? Oh, I'm part of the conservative deal. What are we, we're going to pay back our enemies just like everything else. It's a twisted way of thinking. We need people who love Jesus to get into the government and actually act like Jesus in government. I don't need them to like wear a shirt or have a rally at a church one time and then act like they actually know Jesus. With their right hand, I love God. With their left hand, they're punching their enemies in the face. And behind closed doors, they're being serpents and snakes. That is not the way. It is to serve and bless and to honor. And it drives me crazy when people, Christians, say, oh, that's just the way the industry is. I mean, isn't that why Jesus came? Hey, the industry is fathers beat up their kids. Women that are prostitutes are labeled that for the rest of their life, and they're donezo. The industry in Jerusalem is the Romans' rule. They're slaves, and no one has a right. And he comes and says, hey, there's no difference. All can have the kingdom. All can be loved. All deserve worth and value. Jesus is actually the one that said, yeah, in the eyes of God, I love all of you. There's not a hierarchy because of race or where you're from. Jesus is the one that came and broke the back of that. You know, here we are today, 2,000 years later, we still got problems. And I, I'm, I'm not talking about out there. Come on here. I, I'm not talking about, I'm not here to, to convert everyone or to, or to make everyone do something. Because the Jesus model, guys, is he serves people by healing them. He serves people by saying, hey, I've got some bread. You want to eat it? You don't want to eat it? Okay, someone else will. You want to eat it? You want to eat it? I've got words of life. Do you want to hear them? You don't? Okay, who wants to hear them? Jesus would go into a city and then fall on deaf ears and he'd leave the city. Oh, Jesus, not very compassionate. Not very kind. Jesus, why would you leave them? I don't know. He's God. And that's his model. That's got to be mine too. Hey, man, do you, do you want to turn your life around and start confessing the sin to your wife and Start treating your kids with love and respect and 
Do you want to walk through the Bible and just walk through stuff? No. Okay. Who wants that? You want that? No. You want that? No. You want that? Sure, man. Okay, let's meet. That's a Jesus model. It's not cruel. It's kingdom. Don't allow humanism to invade the kingdom mindset. Or human emotion to, it's like, no. If Jesus did it, that's how we're going to do it. Because that's the way he established the kingdom. That's the way he changed the world. Didn't change it by money. Didn't change it by his power. Not that kind of worldly power. As we kind of wrap up here, and I wish I had more time, but we don't. Okay. Um, you know, guys, if, if you're here for three days, three months, three years, 30 years, as long as you're here in this town, I'm asking you to say that this is your town. Listen, I was in college too. I had some good friends back in high school, lived in Austin at the time, and um, I personally chose to make this my home. I'm not saying to follow my footsteps, but I went home three times my freshman year, two hours away, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter, because I said, Mom and Dad, I love you guys, but you raised me to be an adult and to establish myself in this town and to commit to these relationships and the people here and to my studies, and I'm going to do just that. Sure, did my parents wish they could hang out with me more? Sure. But they were proud of me because they said, you are going off your own, and we trust you. I want to encourage you, if this is your home, treat it like a home. You can be a visitor or a resident. Visitors take, and then they leave. But residents give. So you got to decide. Are you going to be a taker? You don't just be in college. You can be a young adult family. You just going to take from our town? Take and take and take. Take our resources. Take stuff, and are you going to give? The kingdom culture is a giving culture. Not like taking. It's a serving. It's actually a giving away, right? I want to encourage you guys that the way that we're going to see our city change is by serving the city. You're not going to hear me say, we're going to invade the city. If I do, I'll just repent for it. We're going to serve the city. Because when we serve the city, we will change the city. Brian and Colossation will be changed when we start serving it. I'm just going to give you a quick glimpse into what's going on, all right? We're going to talk about the city of Brian for a moment, all right? You ready? All right, I went and met with the mayor of Brian a couple months ago because God put in my heart and he said, you need to go meet with the mayor of Brian. So I worked for months and months to get a meeting with him. I did. Mayor Andrew Nelson, great guy. We went down and met for 30 minutes and we talked and I got to share my story a little bit. And I asked him, I said, Mayor Nelson, here's what I wanted to meet. We as a church want to know how we can serve your vision for the city of Brian. What is it? He was kind of taken aback. So he shared a few things with me. I said, okay. I said, my next question is, how can we serve that vision practically? Give me something. You know what he said? He said, I've never had anyone ask that question. Certainly not from a church. Everyone else usually wants to take or get a favor. I said, I don't want favors. I don't want you to even mention us. I'm telling you, we want to serve the vision for the city because God's put you in leadership of this city and I need you to have a vision for the city. I hope you have a vision. If you don't have one, go pray and go get one. <laughs> and I said, what do you want us to do? He said, I can't answer that right now. I, I, I don't have a clear answer for you and it's because he's never been asked it. So I said, great. I'm going to give you a few months. I'm coming back. And we're going to talk again because I want to know what's your vision. And if it's, if it's cleaning up the parks, we're going to clean the parks up. And I don't need you to give me favors. We don't pay taxes, so I don't need a hook up there. 
we're nonprofit, you know? Probably wishes we would, but, you know, we don't, so that's the law. So I came to the mayor, and I said, hey, I'm here. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. He invited me to come pray at a city council meeting. So I came and prayed, and all these city council people there, and police officers there. It was a Brian PD police appreciation night and all the stuff. And I, I talked to the lady and said, is there anything I can't, can't pray? She's like, nah, just go for it. I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't know what they thought of it, but I prayed. Pretty loud. And I walked out. People were kind of like, one, was one guy was like, man, that was good. Yeah, it was good. You know, that people was kind of like stunned, not sure what just happened. <laughs> hey, you invited me. Uh, Dr. Christy Whitbeck, the Bryan ISD superintendent, she invited 25 churches, their, their pastors, senior pastors, to a special lunch four months ago. She came and she said, here's the deal, I want to be honest with you guys. I'm a follower of Jesus, but my work, there's some separation there that has to happen, church and state and all that in my job, but here's why I brought you to the table. I've been on the job for eight months, and our school district is hurting. We lose 25% of our teachers every year. That is very high turnover, just so you know, for a school district. Very high. One out of four teachers quit because it's so hard. She said, we have over 16,000 students. We have thousands of students that their parents can't speak English. We have thousands of students that are below the poverty line. In fact, I think she mentioned something to the fact that over 50% of the students are actually beneath the poverty line. She said, our schools are hurting. She said, and I am asking you as faith-based leaders, as churches, to adopt our schools. She said, here's the one that it'll look like. We need you to pray for a school. Tell us which one you're praying for. We will give you access to the teachers' lounges and lunchrooms to celebrate their birthdays, to encourage them if they want prayer, to pray for them, because they're on the front line and they are getting beat up. And they need you to encourage them. They want to quit. And maybe we can get that ratio down to like 10% of them quitting. And she said, and thirdly, I said, what's the biggest need you have? She said, I need males on campus said, they do not have males. They do not have fathers. They do not have present fathers. You have a bunch of single moms raising their kids, and the dads aren't doing anything. She said, and it's hurting our schools. Kids are dropping out. They don't. She said, you get one guy there to help a kid read, all of a sudden they want to read. But they're not getting to read at home. The average kid in middle-class America gets to read, you know, let's say four to five hours a week with mom and dad. These kids, zero hours. When mom and dad aren't reading with them, they don't want to read. If a kid can't, if a kid can't read by age of third or fourth grade, they're done. They're not going to make it. If you can't do math by middle school, you're out. And you don't graduate from high school, the likelihood of you actually getting a real job that can sustain a family is almost zilch. The likelihood of you going to prison is way stronger than you actually turning out okay. It is brutal. So she said, we need the churches. And I said, great, we're in. Daniel Locke just went and met with principal with the principal of Bryan High School, okay, a couple months ago. He met with them. He said, hey, what can we do? And he said, you know what you can do? If you guys can show up to this lunchroom and just find lonely kids and get to know them, encourage them. If they want to have spiritual conversations, you have fair game. You can't start it, but you can reciprocate it. Go for it. But these kids are hurting. This lunchroom is a mess. He said, please come. And if anyone gives you any business, just say, hey, the principal told me we can come in here. So you guys come in here. Now, don't go to the Brian High if you go through Daniel Locke, okay? So you're going you're gonna to mess up a reputation here, all right? So we don't need 50 people showing up to the Brian High lunchroom. We'll get in trouble. But Daniel Locke is going to start piloting this spring with a small team of people. They're going to go in there once a week, just trying to build relationships. They're just going to go. They're going to show up. And, and I told them, man, find the hungry. You're not there to convert everyone. Serve them. Pack a really good lunch that another kid will want. 
Hey, man, you want my sandwich? Better than yours. Do a little lunch swap. Really? You give me your lunch? Yeah, man. It's like, whoa, who are you? Boom. Right? Conversation. Just eating a ham sandwich. Right? God's doing stuff in our city, but we cannot be on the sideline. We can't be on the sideline. Not anymore. So from now on, you will hear us and you will see us as a people moving pretty quickly to start serving our city in multiple ways. We have built up a core house of people. We have a value for Jesus and his kingdom being present everywhere. We want to be salt and light. And we're going to start doing that. In healthcare, just yesterday at World Minute, we had breakouts about healthcare and education and local ministries and campus life. We had one of the ones I'm forgetting, but we had breakouts of business. And um, in the healthcare when I was in, we had 75 people in there. And I was like, I thought we had 20, to be quite honest. And about 30 of them are actually have jobs in the healthcare industry, and about 40 of them are students right now wanting to be PAs, doctors, therapists, dentists, different. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Just these people right here, if they got the kingdom salt and light perspective and just went out and said, my dentistry is going to be different than any other dentistry. We're going to do amazing work, and you're going to have the best smile when you walk out of there. And, by the way, we're going to pray over every patient, whether they want or not, because especially when they're underneath anesthesia, you just pray for them. They ain't going to know. Man, I feel great. Oh, that's interesting, you know. But God is into creativity. We are not going to be Roman anymore. And we are Americans, but we're actually going to have the mentality of kingdom. Amen? All right, let's stand. Come on, man. Let's go. I don't know where you're at. Let's do this. So here's how we're going to end. I'm just going to impart just a mindset shift for us. Because I believe God's giving it to me. And you know, whenever God gives you something, it's good to give that away. That's called serving. Right? And so I'm just going to pray over us, and if you feel comfortable having your hands out or not, it doesn't matter. You can just have your, your, your eyes closed or heart open, but just want you to, to be able to receive something. Because again, if we can't receive from Jesus, our serving is in vain. It's going to be fruitless. And I need us to walk out of this place understanding that we are called to be servants of God, but it's actually that the best way we can love Him is by serving other people. In the name of Jesus, right? So, Lord Jesus, we just pray right now. We just come, and, Lord, I just release an impartation of power and joy and strength right now, Lord. I pray over every student in this room that they have vision for the degree, that they have vision for what they're doing, Lord. I pray if they're lacking that vision, would you download it to them right now in the name of Jesus? Would they be in vision and filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing that there is a purpose to their life and their gifting and their skill set and their personality? You made them to have a purpose. Lord, I pray that they would go in faith with their studies and be excellent students so that they can have influence in the nations, influence in our country, but that influence will come by serving. And Lord, I pray for everyone who has a job in the room who's working right now. Lord, give us eyes to see. Give people eyes to see the opportunities that are right in front of them, in the cubicle next to them, at the conference table, on the, on the sales call. Let them be people who are salt and light everywhere that they go. God, and we want to be people that are agents of change in our city. Lord, would you come and meet with us Give us creative ideas. Give us kingdom ideas and how we can serve and bless people to the right and to our left and at every turn. That we would just have a lifestyle of serving people, of washing feet, of helping them wherever they are at so that they can know how good and loving you are. Our serving, if that's an opportunity to reveal the love of God to someone, Lord, let it be. Let it be said of us as a people. I don't know much about them, but they serve like crazy. And they're serving 
It doesn't have weird motives. It's pure. Lord, let it be said of us that we are a people that serve with pure hearts and that we serve for your name's sake. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship Jesus.